Welcome to the podcast of St. Basil the Great Catholic Church in Brecksville, Ohio, with homilies, talks, and interviews relevant to your Catholic faith. God bless you and enjoy. Welcome to the St. Basil Catholic Church Brecksville podcast. My name is Tommy Dome, and I am your host. And today I'm interviewing a friend of mine, but a real servant in the vineyard of the Lord here in Cleveland. His name is Greg Stovacek. Hi, Greg. Hello, and hello to uh, the parishioners here at St. Basil's. Yeah, Greg, you served on CORE for the Life Team program here for a couple of years? Yeah, a couple of years, some years ago. And now what are you doing? So I teach high school theology. I'm teaching seniors this year, um, but I've taught across all the grades. So you teach high school at a Catholic school here in the diocese. And I wanted to have a conversation with you, a little discussion about how do we educate today's young people in the faith. I want to start with just some terms that we throw around in church world uh, everybody might not be familiar with. So we talk about evangelizing, we talk about sacramentalizing, we talk about catechizing. What are all of these things? Sure. Evangelizing, obviously, just the you know the very basic definition of that is passing along the good news, uh, the evangelium, and you, you find that in the the scriptures and the gospels and in, in uh, Paul's writings uh, and the later writings in the New Testament, just talking about what's the good news and and how do we continue to present and live that. Catechizing is a little different from that. It's more like factual, structural teaching, I think. Uh, so you could talk about the catechism itself, the book that has sort of all these all these uh, definitions and doctrines uh, that need to be passed along and need to be understood in order to really encounter Christ. Uh, and then obviously the sacramentalizing is, is familiarizing people with the sacraments, which as Catholics are really, in, in many ways, are the, are the heart of our experience of, of the life of faith. Would it be oversimplifying to say evangelizing is getting to know Jesus, sacramentalizing is receiving the sacraments, and catechizing is just learning what the faith is about? Uh, there's a lot of truth to that. I would say evangelizing, though, is, is as an action, is helping others to come to know Jesus. So, like, when you when you came to encounter Jesus, you were evangelized in that moment, I think. So, it, it's, a, it's a verb, evangelizing, I think. But there, so I guess one of my complaints about Catholic education as I've experienced it is that we have this model that seems to be more, at least in the classroom, to be more based in catechesis, which is super important um, because it means coming to know about. But I think that uh, this is one of my frustrations, and, and I'm not sure how to fix this yet, but hopefully try to reconcile these two things. But I think that evangelization, the encountering of the person of Christ, has to be happening in order for catechesis to make sense. So coming to know a person is very different from coming to know about a person. That's an obvious thing. And I think one of the ways that we come to know Jesus is, especially as Catholics, is through the sacraments, through encountering that grace that's offered through the sacraments. So I think all three of these things are super necessary. And if you focus on one without the other ones, I think you're going to have issues difficulty coming to know the person of Christ. Uh, So is there a correct order to doing them? Would young people care about the content of the faith and what it teaches if they don't know who Jesus is, if they don't think that he makes a difference in their lives? Right. That's the, I think that's the poverty that I find sometimes in teaching at the high school level is this idea that 
And this may be just part of being a teenager too, is not being super uh, affective or expressive about faith in general. But the way that sort of my job as a teacher is laid out is presuming that the encounter with Christ as a true living person is happening outside of the classroom. And then I sort of step in and give them the information that should go along with that. But if it's not happening outside the classroom, then that becomes uh, a more difficult class to teach because, you know, again, uh, I can tell you a lot about Martin Luther King Jr. I can tell you a lot about Gandhi. I can tell you a lot about, I don't know, some other famous world leader or, or uh, inspiring person like St. Basil uh, historically, but it's not going to change your life if you don't come to know them or come to know that, that they were a person and continue to be personally effective. And the same, same thing with Jesus. If he's just somebody who's relegated to history and we're just talking about, uh, you know, a dictionary, it doesn't set people's hearts on fire. Do you feel that young people are hesitant to talk about faith today? Or are they very willing to share their opinions on it? When you're talking to teenagers, you're talking to the culture. We didn't mention this, but I, I spent some years in the seminary. And one of the things that we talk about, what does the culture say about a particular topic? So what is the culture's opinion on modest dress? Or what does the culture consider uh, legitimate entertainment? And then we compare that to sort of the Christian genius and insight and say, is this being lived well? But whenever I talk about that word, the culture, that was one of, my, one of the things I encountered when I first started teaching in high school. It was like, gosh, everything that I said about the culture, these kids think, <laughs> like for the most part. Uh, so they're very much encountering whether direct atheism or just secular mindsets that, that just don't think that faith is relevant to their lives. So the kids like in the philosophy courses would be very vocal about that. Other ones, you know, that are in like a 30-person class and don't really want to speak up, I think – I think that's also present with them, but they may be less uh, vocal about it. So would you say that's the biggest challenge you have as a Catholic school teacher? Is encountering the culture in them? Yeah. Just how, how they are formed by the culture so much, and it seems like you have to fight against that. Yeah. Fight against it in ways that also invite, you know, their experiences into it. So, like, it would be counterproductive for me to come into the classroom and say, you all need to stop using Facebook. You need to stop, you know, you need to get off Instagram because it's, it's hurting, you know, whatever it is, this is destroying our society, whatever it might be, but look for ways to include their experience of the culture into the very deep mysteries that they're seeking in their hearts. Who am I? What am I made for? Am I good enough? Am I lovable? What is the purpose of my life? Uh, and I think that's where, where faith really becomes something that's that's where it starts living again, when they start encountering it as a place where they can go to for wisdom in exploring those questions. So at some point we have to say that catechizing is just one ingredient of the larger project, but we can't expect to farm that job out to someone else, whether it's PSR or a youth ministry program or a Catholic school and say, if I just send my kid to that program, right. then they will love Jesus and keep going to church and they'll know the faith and they'll keep going to the sacraments. Right. And this is a dangerous thing for me to say because it guarantees my job if people think that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, but unfortunately... Or fortunately, you know, I mean, this is just the model of, I think, Christian family is that it's it's something that 
we need to see in our parents. And, and obviously people come to faith in many, many different ways, but we need to see it being practiced in some way and see it being held as a, uh, a priority in, in the lives of people that we love and respect. Is there anything that comes to mind when you think of the most faithful students or the best students, but I don't mean best just academically, but the best students who've come through your doors, through your classroom door, is there something that they all seem to have in common with their willingness to learn about the faith? Or is there something positive that you can see is going on at home and that helps them be a great theology student in the classroom? Yeah, I think that there's definitely like direct and obvious and like remarkable positive effects to something like students being members of a youth ministry thing on the weekends. Because when youth ministry is done well, that's what it's it's exploring. It's exploring the intellectual form, formation, which we do in the classroom, but it's also exploring the affective dimension, you know, the feelings and the uh, personal encounter both with Jesus sacramentally through adoration and through, you know, prayer experiences and mass, but with also experiencing Jesus through the love that they find in, you know, the core members or the the other teens that they're with. So encountering people in ways that helps them to see that the faith is an important and a formational aspect of people's lives, I think, helps them to really engage with the sort of intellectual side of it. So youth ministry Certainly, certainly mass attendance, at least. Mm -hmm. What's what's the experience here at home? What's the experience here among their friends about how they address faith? Is it something that is a priority or not? There's a line that is attributed to St. Augustine, and it goes like this. It goes, the truth is like a lion. You don't have to defend it. Let it loose. It will defend itself. So the idea is if we just preach the truth, it will have an effect. Can you just lay out the information and it will click with young people? Uh, no. If the truth is like, here's this catechism, which reads like an encyclopedia, and I hand it to you and say, that's going to defend itself once you get to the end of it. That's, that's not effective. But if the truth is uh, you are loved you're made beautifully and wonderfully, and you're made to encounter others in a way that brings new life to your heart and to theirs. You were made specifically to to experience joy. Hopefully, they can find an echo of that in their own heart, because really, that's that's the question that I think a lot of teen and a lot of adults too, but a lot of teenagers are encountering in a, in a new and really scary way. Is asking that question: Am I delightful? If I believe in God, does God delight in me? What's my purpose? Things like that. So, you know, it takes a lot of a lot of leading and a lot of uh, sort of personal encounter and assurance that they are loved for people to begin to to accept that truth. I imagine another current problem is perhaps back then more people believed that there was a such thing as objective truth, <clears throat> and nowadays. <clears throat> People seem to be fine saying, you have your truth, I have my truth, and it's mm. fine. It's just like different opinions. Mm. And there isn't a, a baseline that there is a such thing as the objective truth, a reality that doesn't depend upon our feelings and opinions in order to make it valid. Yeah, I think it also depends on conscience formation. Like, am I, am I struck when I encounter something that is true? 
or am I able to retreat into something like relativism to say, well, there that statement appears to be beautiful that I, you know that God loves me, but I might have to change my life if I really was to accept it. Hmm. Um, so. Now, what about technology? <clears throat> sure, that's it a big one. Seems to be something that a lot of companies, a lot of people say, okay. If we just repackage the faith in a slicker production, mm. then that will be a key to passing on the faith to our young people. Is it useful? Does it get through? Is it wishful thinking to think that it's going to be a solution? Yeah, I think there's definite insights here and there's definite dangers. I read a book recently called iGen and the author's name T-W-E-N-G-E. Um, and she's a sociologist and she's looking at sort of the sociological effects of the iPhone coming into it. So she's looking at the generation of people born uh, 1997 and, and following. So they're about 10 years old when the, the iPhone came out. And just looking at sort of the, the different experiences and ways of encountering the world and ways of learning uh, that's been in a lot of ways restructured by the, the technology that we have. Now, I can say that at um, the school that I teach at, we started using one-to-one Chromebooks. So the students, a couple years ago, every one of them has a, a small laptop that they have to work to work on. So they can collaborate on things through the you know different projects on that. They can do research. They can take notes on there. They can turn in assignments, things like that. So in, in some ways, it makes it very convenient. But in other ways, obviously, and I, when I was in grad school, I had a, a laptop that I used to take notes on, and probably half the period... I was looking at stuff on the internet uh, and, you know, once in a while the professor would say something that caught my attention and I'd go back to my note document and write that down and go back over to surfing, you know, Wikipedia or whatever it was. And I was, you know, in my twenties and these kids are not. <laughs> <You know? laughs> They're even um, younger. Yeah. Yeah. So there's, there's a danger to it that like this needs to be structured in a way that, you know, is actually helpful instead of being distracting. At the same time, I think people's experience of the world is very much filtered through technology these days. And there's there's like a, a great breath of fresh air when you can get people to put down their technology. But at the same time, that's a place that that needs to be evangelized too. Uh, uh -huh. And it's a place of encounter is through this technology. So no, I don't think it's a solution. Uh, I think it's a new, I don't want to say battlefield, but it's a new field to be on, to explore with people. You know, I, I wouldn't recommend. <laughs> Certainly not a silver bullet by any means. Yeah. yeah. I wouldn't recommend the churches put up like, you know, projectors and um, have videos playing, things like that. What are our Catholic high schools good at and what can they improve upon? <clears throat> well, very often the Catholic high schools are good at sports because it, because it's a competitive field to get students to come to your school, you have to excel in ways that are attractive. So yeah, I think there, there's an aspect of that. I think the Catholic schools should be engendering in our students the ability to see how their faith relates to other aspects of their lives. And I'm, I'm sure different schools do that at different you know rates of success. And uh, different teachers. And different teachers, absolutely. Also, I think there's, there's obviously just like a, a moral and ethical framework to Catholic education that while in public school, you're definitely going to get like a right and wrong and, uh, you know, please don't do this or that. I think hopefully our Catholic faith gives us a place to explore that deeper. Why is it wrong to treat people this way? Mm -hmm. uh, because we're made in God's image and likeness. 
and the way that we treat our brothers and sisters is the way that we treat Christ. So there's there's that that too. What can it improve on? You know, going back to the, the I guess the same frustrations I was talking about already is just the idea that like the spiritual formation should be happening already outside of the classroom. And when we encounter places and students where that's not happening, I think campus ministry is an important part of like a way to try to respond to that, to invite them into that encounter with Christ in other ways outside of the classroom. So if that campus ministry is not prioritized within the the high school itself, uh, I think that can be pretty detrimental. All right. Let me try to summarize some of the main topics we've made today, and then you clean up anything or add in anything that you think you ought to. So in the Catholic life, we all need to be evangelized. We all need to be catechized. We all need to be sacramentalized. So we need to experience Jesus as someone who is real and who does love us and does care about us. We need to encounter God through the different sacraments, Mm -hmm. the one-time sacraments and the sacraments that we do again and again. And we have to, in order to really, really flourish and become the people God want us to be, learn about our faith, what we what we teach, what we don't teach, just because there's so much beauty, so, so robust, mm-hmm. uh, that that will make us better, will make us more like Christ to transform the world. But each one of those, is there a correct order? Are they all just the different necessary elements? Uh, we can't just farm out one of those pieces to other people as a specialist but we got to all be in this together. Yeah, I think so for me personally, I, I probably at some point thought that evangelization has to come first. So you have to know the person of Jesus before you care about receiving him in the Eucharist or before you care about, you know, sort of the, the intellectual side of it. But, you know, people, somebody like C.S. Lewis would say that he encountered Christ intellectually first and then fell in love. Um, after a long time of sort of intellectual searching and, you know, it was through conversations with other believing friends about the teachings that he began to like be introduced into the the Christian worldview. So I, I, I guess I could say that for me personally, it's important for me to know Christ before I begin to read books about him. But I, I think I think it can happen anyway. Um, yeah, God has given us a million ways to come to him because yeah. he's he's that loving. He wants us no matter where we are, he wants us to have a route to him or back to him. Well, the faith is not something that we can outsource, but it's something that we need to work with one another to help our young people. If we have people who are better evangelizers, people who are better at liturgy, people who are better at teaching and catechizing, we got to become friends with those people. We got to send our kids to those schools where there's those people are teachers and send their children to those schools where we have intentional disciples on the faculty. So I hope that you enjoyed this conversation, learned a little bit, had uh, some deep thoughts about Catholic education and the, the state of it and how we can improve it. I hope that you subscribe to this podcast. You can search for St. Basil Catholic Church Brexville. You can also find it at our website. And also please like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter and Instagram. And be sure to pray every day, Bible and Rosary every day, Mass every week, confession every month, and a retreat or pilgrimage every year. And that is a winning strategic battle plan for your faith and to grow in it. I want to thank Greg for coming and talking to us and sharing some of his experience and thoughts. Yeah, thank you for having me here. God bless you. 
We hope you enjoyed this audio from our parish. You can find other homilies, talks, and interviews at our website, basilthegreat.org, or by subscribing to this podcast in your favorite app. Just search for St. Basil Catholic Church, Brexville. St. Basil the Great, pray for us.